Welcome to Machine Learning. Well, this is a recap of this week, and I've been doing a lot of Flutter programming. But basically what I'm doing is going through different uh, Flutter concepts and programming it out, just testing it, building like just lots of little projects. And then once I get the project done, then I've been YouTubing it and explaining how uh, I built the, the different components. What I'm trying to do is build a set of components that I can use um, in different layouts. Because I know that sometimes what people do is build templates and then they sell those templates. Um, and so that's what I've been thinking about is not necessarily looking to sell templates, but building these reusable components and packages that I've figured out. So you figure it out once and then use it many times. And that way you're not doing so much cutting and pasting because uh, cutting and pasting can be very, uh, create lots of code duplication and, uh, and introduce error. So you can test out your different uh, packages and once you get them tested out and they, they work good, then you can just use that, those, those uh, uh, packages. And what I do is I just create a set of classes static functions, and so then I can just reference the class dot the static function in my code. And that's that creates for a lot of uh, reusability, and then I can think of, I can go to one place, look at my code base and what the function does, analyze it, see if, uh, if it needs to uh, be made more generic and you could use like the factory model too so you could build an abstract class and off of that then you could build multiple uh, classes types to handle the different business uh, cases that might come up and so factory pattern is something that could be very useful in object-oriented programming well, and, I, and, uh, and that's been kind of the power of object-oriented programming is that it can handle so many business classes so quickly and without, uh, without jeopardizing the existing code base. And so um, I've been starting to think along those lines of how to do that. And then I've just been solving different uh, problems. And so... One of the things I think would be somewhat useful is having a uh, open AI codex for Flutter where you can see how the machine solves the problem and, and have it do different tasks for you um, and generate code up for you. It's still amazing how low-level code is. It, it does specific functionality, but the actual synthesis of, of the code requires still a lot of craftsmanship. And so um, this week I was working on one that I wanted the just a simple card, letter card, and I wanted uh, for it to be expandable to 600 pixels, so the maximum size the card can get was 600 pixels.
which I was able to do that, but the collapsible size would be a minimum of 300 pixels. And instead, it just collapsed infinitely until it had an uh, overflow on my input uh, form, text form, fill. And um, so there was a couple of solutions, but they weren't they weren't what I wanted. And one was just to make the box always appear to be 300 pixels, and then add a uh, single child scroll view, so that if if the screen shrunk below a certain size, then you could scroll up or down. But your 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 card was always 300 by 300, and so. Uh, at first, I thought it was going to be an easy problem, but then as I looked at it more, I realized, no, it isn't an easy problem, and uh, I have to try to find the the solution. So originally, the way I solved it was with a box constraint, and the box constraint had a min and max values, and then I put my card as a child inside the box constraint. And at first, that looked like that was going to solve the problem. Well, it definitely solved the problem for the max width and height, but the min width and height didn't work the way I thought it should. And uh, and so, you know, I'm, I'm doing the programming for Flutter for uh, Chrome Web, and it just wasn't giving the right the behavior. So I put that out on Stack Overflow for an answer and, and didn't really get a good answer on that one. Well, and I was talking to my wife today about how to play the game Hangman. So, yeah, you come up with a phrase and then you guess at the characters. Um, so every time you, you have a ribbon, a left like a list view ribbon, and it has all the characters A through Z. And then you'll guess each time what the characters might be. And then it, if you if you have a character, then it'll put it in the position in the list where it finds the match uh, to the phrase that you're trying to discover. And then if, you, if it's incorrect, then you have one of uh, the tiles that display. And so one of the tiles that could dis be displayed would be you have a head, a body, left and right arms, left and right legs. And so they're told for six possible errors. So you have to figure out what the phrase is in six moves. And uh, it was kind of a, a fun little uh, discussion. Well... Then I thought about how I could do this, implement it. So if it was wrong, then I could have a spin tile. And what I could do is crop my image. So I could have an image of a, of a hangman. And I could break it up into six tiles. And then I could map each one of those six tiles to a card. And so... For each wrong one, it would then display one of the the tiles. So it could display 
the head tile. It can display the body tile. Then it can display the arm tile and the other arm tile until you get six, and then it, that would be considered a fell, and you would have a try again. So, um, these are the type of things that uh, you can do with Flutter, and, and it's kind of intriguing. I've actually been thinking more about things that I want to build and uh, utilize some of the existing technologies with widget-based programming. Well, another one I was thinking of is uh, teaching uh, multiplication, the multiplication table. So uh, 12 times 12 would be the max, so 144. And what I was going to do is uh, it's a, just a simple game, but uh, you, would, you would see 12 times 12, and then it would flash for maybe three or four seconds, 144. So 1,001, 1,002, 1,003. So you see it, 144. Then it will randomly select maybe 10 different numbers or five different numbers. And you have 144 as one of the five numbers. And then you have it just cycled down through, kind of like Tetris. And when you see the number that's correct, you grab it and you throw it into a bucket. And if it's the correct one number, then you get a um, you get a, a positive score, and then you go to the next number. If it's incorrect, it goes to the next number, but you don't get a uh, increment on your score. So just a, a fun way to interact with learning. I think you can make learning a lot like a game. I know when uh, my kids were growing up, we used to play this game where we would be driving around the car. And I would say to my daughter, Kimmy, I'd say, Kimmy, spell uh, grocery. And she would, she would actually sit there and sound it out and spell it out. And then I'd see a sign and I'd say, spell storage. She'd spell that out. You know, it got kind of be a little game between her and I. And uh, and then my other daughter, Kelsey, would like to do that too. And I would start playing that game with her. And pretty soon, my girls got really good at spelling. They could, they could spell big words and and uh, they started to read, and that was, you know, they're young at the time, but they started to read, and they could read uh, big words, and, and they remembered what they were. And both of uh, those, the two daughters read a lot of different books, and they were hard books to read. They required lots of comprehension, and they could do it. And I was always amazed, you know, how a simple game that we used to play could help them out as adults later on in life when they wanted to read um, more complex books. Well, and that's the thing that's really fun is that, you know, you don't have to come up with something that's uh, extremely complex and lots of lights and flash. You know, it can just be the bare essence of of the the 
the problem that you're trying to solve and uh, meeting those expectations. Because there's lots of phobias to learning, and I think if you can make learning fun and you can and you can break it down into small uh, manageable pieces that the person can understand, then it could be more effective. I know with DataCamp, you know, we're constantly breaking things down and, and making things more easy to understand. And then you get to practice what you've uh, tried and things like that. Well, I've actually been thinking about how I could build something like that for other things where uh, it it could, uh, almost like a compiler, analyze what you typed in and then tell you whether or not what your answer was was correct or wrong, based like almost like this pre-compiler type of uh, technology that I would build. Well, but then who, the question is, is who would pay for that? You know, why would they pay for that? And perhaps they would be interested in learning um, Python, and that's why they would take these courses from me, is, is that they would want to learn that, or maybe they want to learn machine learning. Well, and I've actually been thinking about trying to get OpenAI to build a DaVinci Medical and a DaVinci Legal because I see a market here for people that need medical advice. So you can give um, a list of symptoms and the uh, DaVinci Medical GBD3 could, engine could uh, describe the disease that they have based on the probability of their symptoms. And they could describe, you know, what are some of the things that they could do. Uh, maybe even give a li list of companies in the area that were specialized in those areas and domains that they could contact. Uh, so maybe they need to go see a gastroenterologist, you know, realizing that it is not a general practitioner problem that they have, but they, it's a gastro problem with the stomach they could then get a list of uh, specialists in the area and they could contact them and they could tell them the symptoms that they're experiencing. And if those symptoms change, they could get on and talk to GPD-3 and, and uh, add additional facts, additional symptoms, additional things that uh, are to be considered. And maybe it could help refine into these more specialized diseases you know, maybe it could be related to a parasite, a bacterial infection, a um, a, a staph infection. Maybe they got bit by a dog and there are certain um, things that they're observing, like red line, you know, staph infection. Or maybe they're in chronic pain all the time. Maybe it's a form of arthritis. But but the thing that's interesting is could GPT-3 then let them know about some interesting research that's being done on arthritis where they could maybe contact some research universities and get 
uh, some innovative technology that may help them. We're in a time and era where AI is starting to solve some of our medical problems with different drug therapies, and the, the, you know these therapies uh, are will allow come to market quicker than in the past, and so there there at one time maybe there was no hope for people who had chronic arthritis. And they just had to take painkillers, but we don't. But in the future, maybe the, you, there will be an innovative uh, medicine that you take that not only reduces the effect of arthritis, but maybe it removes arthritis. And it may have been discovered by AI or a combination of AI and research uh, scientists. And the time to market is greatly reduced because maybe they're running it through simulations doing instead of lots of laboratory tests to determine the act, the effectiveness of the new drug. They run it in computer simulation. And so they can do more tests quicker in the simulated world than they can in the physical world. When I was listening to uh, Jordy Rose talk about quantum computing, and that's also a new area that we haven't seen before, which is using other dimensions for the calculations and doing these calculations that could take months and years to run in a matter of seconds. And so things that are running at scale or in parallel may be better suited to quantum computing and spending the $20 million for the computer may be worth the investment because of the power of the tool to um, handle scale problems and parallel problems. So we just don't know the overall impacts of quantum computing yet. But there are a large number of companies now that are starting to pay attention to quantum computing and applying it to their particular problems that they have in their company to leverage that additional compute power. And because they can leverage that compute power, uh, they're able to to uh, justify the cost for the quantum machine. And so these are things that I, I think that uh, we'll see soon as uh, we're, we're entering into this new era of rapid technology, accelerated technology. Uh, and uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see if we can get any portion of that new technology um, within our own realm. Because it's kind of a gimmick 
really, and people are are looking for GPT-3 access, but it's nearly impossible to find because Google's search engine has uh, been so poor at presenting content. It's almost as if there's zero energy in the system for uh, sites that are not paying. And I think that even in the long tail, they have figured out how to reduce energy in the long tail. And so your search content does not appear on Google. So as more and more content is put out there, your entropy actually increases to the point where you almost have maximum entropy, meaning maximum chaos. You're just part of the noise, and you won't, you cannot be discovered on the search engines. And that's a product of more information that's being uh, put out on the search engines, and the fact that the search engines now have become the freeway for all information. And I guess they may have known that all along, but they, uh, but the, you know, the the thing that's interesting is channels like Spotify or Anchor that are allowing for some level of visibility. Their search, their algorithms are not quite as brutal, maybe as the Google algorithms. And I say brutal, they, you know, these are machine algorithms that are, are running, so you can't really say brutal. But they have, at their core, they're analyzing to see the demographic. Who's listening? Why are they listening? What are they listening to? And they're trying to figure out topic. And so they're getting these topic groups, uh, content put out there, building in some sort of possibly 3D matrix. And they're looking at what people are spending their time listening to on these podcasts. And what's interesting is that they don't convert everything that's being spoken on the podcast into text and then submitting um, a text form of what is spoken to, like, say, a GPT-3 which then could summarize the content and put a more generalized description of what was podcast on. Because people are not reading. The, the, the amount of content that's out there, they're not reading the actual content. They're watching YouTube. They're watching... Um, Facebook, and their their interest is a very high level. They're not going into the low level where we're you know discussing these type of issues. So the fact that you're listening to this podcast is really quite amazing because that means that you're young, probably male, and you're trying to figure out hard problems in computer science and you've been listening to me because 
some of the ideas I've shared with you are goals that you think may be possible given resource, given money, given time, you could solve. And I hope you do it. But it is a race. And just like I tell associates who are trying to learn everything, you're not going to learn everything. The best you can do is race out there, find out what people are trying to solve, race to that problem, uh, and see if you can be part of the solution. Because things are going to change. The machines are going to start writing the code, and they are they are writing the code right now. And you're going to see a huge proliferation in terms of functionality, a lot of logic that the uh, machines will start to generate. And I saw that when I was driving the self-driving cars or, or driver-assisted cars. Because the more I got dependent on the car to assist me for collision detection, lane departure, backup, the more I trusted in that extra sense. And so you become very trusting of the AI capability. And I think our our society will become more trusting of AI and we'll expect more things from devices. We'll expect devices to think. And when I say think, I'm not talking abstract reasoning. I'm talking about GPT-3 with a microphone and a speaker controlling a device, doing some sort of action. So it can uh, listen to the text and it can send back to that device a command uh, through a callback function and that text command then could run a subroutine on the device. And so, you know, you look at the the power of natural language processing and IoT, it makes sense. When you get to a door, you're going to be challenged for authentication. So rather than type in a, 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 a PIN number, you may just ask for access. And then it'll immediately do a facial recognition, it may even do an iris scan, take a picture of your eye. Um, it may even do some voice pattern analysis and get some certain key points from your voice. And maybe at that point, it'll just open the door for you. GPT-3 picks all that, all that information. It then transmits the command back to the device to open the secure door and the door opens for you. Well, so then the question is, is do we have how? Is GPT-3 the beginnings of how? And it's difficult to say. Um, it's definitely not here right now. I mean, there's forms of Watson that, you know, they're trying to build things like how with Watson. But, no, I mean, this is not uh, a thinking machine 
this is a pattern probabilistic neural machine. So it does things based on probabilities. And uh, but the the neural machinery is pretty good. It it uh, is much better than what we've seen before with the, the chatbots, which basically repeat. And, and that's one of the big things that's bad about chatbots is they have a certain level of functionality immediately that could be considered somewhat useful. But the more you talk to it, the more duplication of the same information is served up. And so it, it can't seem to bring anything new to the table. And after a little while, because it doesn't bring anything new to the table, entropy increases and you just discard the thing. You don't talk to the chatbot after a little while. It says the same thing over and over and over. But uh, it uh, is an interesting case study because if the chatbot can get your information to decision makers, then maybe they're worth it. Maybe that tool is worth the investment because it is capable of getting information to decision makers. And that, that information on to the decision makers may result in new innovations as they're listening to the ideas that people are trying to build. It seems like OpenAI is trying to do some of that with their funding. They got some funding from Microsoft, and they're listening to these ideas. But they, they have one big problem. They have no feedback. And so they don't have this capability of looking at a proposal and then evaluating the proposal using AI and then providing some feedback or asking for additional questions and clarification. It just sits out there in this huge pipe. And that's super frustrating because you're looking to get something started innovative. You're racing yourself against time and they act like they have all the time in the world. And that is the problem. And until that problem is solved, I think that you could see other competitors begin to offer natural language processing, neural machinery that could compete. We've got things, there's got all kinds of hybrid versions out there now that are based on BERT. And the question is, is will any of them prove to be a better neural machinery. And once they do get better neural machinery from that area, then the group who's racing may decide that open AI is too slow uh, in terms of innovation cycles, and they may uh, abandon them and choose to go to uh, the new technologies.